Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with world-class experts like today, best-selling authors, probably soon to be <laughs> today, and uh, I don't know, parents around the world. Hi, everyone. I am in studio today, opposite Becca McHugh. Hi. Uh, you most recently heard Becca's voice coming from her Volvo. My Volvo. <laughs> I had to say that so it's carefully. So <laughs> uh, for our mom camping <laughs> escape. Extravaganza. Extravaganza. And when we were on that little uh, mom camp trip, I was bragging about getting the opportunity to speak to our guest today, Ryder Carroll. And I don't think I've ever seen Becca so excited oh or God. impressed. I was dying, dying. I was like, let me at him. Let me at him. I, <laughs> I want to know everything. Yeah. Her eyes started like sparkling <laughs> and I was like, okay, just, just come on, come on in. <laughs> so uh, Becca is co-hosting with me in this episode. And here's a little bit about Ryder Carroll, our guest today. He has created his famous bullet journal practice and system as a way to manage and organize his own life despite his learning disability. You know, once he started sharing his method with friends, the practice became a viral global phenomenon. Last year, 15 million people accessed bulletjournal.com and hashtag bullet journal has more than 2.5 million entries on Instagram. Amen. Amazing. Last night I was after like kind of researching him and I was on Amazon trying to find myself a new notebook. And literally when you search for notebook on Amazon, every single one now has bullet journal in the title because that's all people are looking for. How did you first find out about the bullet journal? <laughs> Actually from Bridget and Jess. No way. Yes. They both, Jess was saying one day, uh, she was like, oh, I just spent like the, you know, four hours last night bullet journaling and it's like, ugh. And I was like, what is bullet? What is that? And Bridget was like, you don't know about bullet journaling? And so they like explained what it was. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. This was when I was first pregnant with Wilder, my second son. And, uh, you know, mom brain was like, it's real. Oh, God, it was so bad. And I couldn't, it was like, I was at that point when you can't remember by the end of the sentence, you can't remember what you were saying at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So I like tried it out and it turned out to be this amazing, I turned into like a superhero of productivity. Really? Just during my pregnancy. Yeah. Because then by, when Wilder was born, my priorities were like, keep the baby alive. Right. Try to shower. But it, so it was like. Of an extra fabulous tool while you were in the nesting mode. Oh my God. For my nesting, it was like, and we had just, <laughs> we had moved like the year before. So there were still things with the house that were sort of pending that I wanted to get done before the baby came. Like, you know, everything that you is in your mind to do before the baby comes. It's like, it was amazing. And basically for listeners who don't know about this method, I mean, obviously we're about to call New York and talk to Ryder, mm -hmm. but all you need is a blank notebook mm -hmm. and a pen that That's you it. like. That's it. Have you ever bullet journaled? No. Uh, today's my first day. And guess what my first task is? What? Interviewing Ryder <laughs> Carroll. <laughs> <laughs> an amazing way to start a bullet journal. The founder amazing. of the bullet journal. <laughs> I mean, everybody, I know how obnoxious I am. Can we all just revel in it? That is like the dumbest 
the thing and the most no, proud I've opposite. ever been. It's the best. I mean, talk about a brag. It's amazing. <laughs> One person in this world is super impressed. <laughs> and it might be Becca across from me, which is oh, why impressed. she's here. So, you know, we had yeah. a really great interview with Laura Vanderkam recently on her book, Off the Clock. And I'm just, as I've mentioned this year, now that Eliza is 15 months, my second child, my first one is five, there is so much to keep track of. And I'm getting my energy back. Like I'm excited to accomplish all the things that have been uh, in the background. And at the same time, you guys, now that I've got these two kids that are different ages and with the podcast and like trying out baby things, our home is like a volcano of stuff. Oh, the the stuff volcano. There's no getting around it. It's, it's there's just stuff everywhere, and it's just a reflection of sort of like my inner chaos. I think so. Now is the time for me to try a new system. <laughs> I love it. I am a productivity nerd. I I don't know. Um, it was. I think we talked about on the on the last uh, on the camping podcast about my key dish and like how oh, I yeah. run my home. I do. I like. I really. I'm very into organization and productivity, and I just really am so. I'm so, like I geek out about bullet journaling. This is really interesting to me. The idea that you're a productivity master and you're a stay at home mom. How did you channel your need to be productive with two kids at home? Because I, I would imagine that I would be, I'm imagining a cat on curtains, like just like yeah. pulling, up, <laughs> I don't know, like climbing up the curtains. Like you would be climbing I would, curtains? yeah. Yes. But I, well, I, th- I actually think that that's, that's a part of it. I mean, I think if that I were like, your type. I hear you. I, I think that I have channeled a lot of my need for like creativity and control into sort of like organization and productivity and productivity and organization can be really creative. Like you can to kind of like figure out the best way to do things and like the bet, you know, what's the best system for like the most efficient system for organizing school lunches. And like, it's so, I don't know. I feel like it's so cliche to like, maybe not cliche, but it's something that I I'm like slightly embarrassed about to be like to want my home to be like optimized for like childcare, but I do, and I want it to be. I also think you know, and I've, I think like creating a clear play space for my kids where they can like take stuff out and then stuff can be put away. I think I've always thought like when I worked in an office, I every day would clear off my desk so that when you walk in the next day, you're walking into a, to a, like a clear workspace. I've always thought that was really important. That's something I got from my dad, actually. I just think that like having a clear, a blank slate, like on our dining room table, we have our dining room table is our everything table. We do like, we don't, it's our only table in the house. And so I, for a while we had like flowers there a lot. It was nice, but then I was like, no, nothing. I want nothing here. So it's a blank slate. So it can be anything. And I think like that's kind of how I want my house to be. I want it like lots of clear blank spaces, not a lot to distract the eye so that it like you can sort of make anything out of it. 
I know I'm not the only mom out there who just heard Becca say the everything table and literally saw 4,000 piles of things, like <laughs> which is what the everything table would be for me. <laughs> not that it's totally a clean slate. And I wish... Um, I'm trying to be less like I wish I were that way and like change who I am, but Mm -hmm. I I definitely see the value in it. Mm -hmm. And I think it is very comforting for children, especially when their parents aren't yelling at each other, like, where'd you leave the keys, which is our morning. (laughs) So I think there's a, you know, it's something that I overlook as a parent, the security that organization and having systems provides kids. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, yeah, that's like such a lovely way to look at it. I think also like kids sort of get used to whatever they're used to, you know, like if there's stuff everywhere, that's how kids are. That's what kids are comfortable with. You know, it's sort of like you're just trying to make me feel better. No, I really mean it. I think if there's, you know, if there's stuff everywhere and suddenly there's like, a, you know, your child comes home from school and everything is put away. It's like unnerving. Like, it's really? like a, what's going on here oh, I think this is why I always want to just move into a hotel because <laughs> that's my clean slate well <laughs> I do think that like getting I am a huge proponent of getting rid of stuff so I think like uh, and I love hotels be, for that reason <laughs> like you only bring your necessary items yourself yes. <laughs> by yourself exactly. i'm having a flashback to my birthday and getting to go to the hotel hotel, oh. hotel ball by myself i couldn't even get it out because i was like smiling too big <laughs> um, oh, but to bring it back to our guest today who we're calling now in new york the really cool thing about the bullet journal is also every day starts with a clean page mm-hmm. so that brings that back to becca's idea of like starting fresh starting clean like anything is possible, mm-hmm. her everything dining table, <laughs> which is so different from my dining table. Okay, everybody, we are going to be right back with writer Carol, the creator of the Bullet Journal. Yay! Hi, writer. It's Ellie Noss and Becca McHugh. Hi, Ryder. <laughs> with Atomic Moms Podcast. How are you? Hi. I'm well. When I go on Pinterest and I search the bullet journal, you know, I see a lot of really pretty handwriting. I have always had handwriting that makes it kind of looks like I'm schizophrenic. So I avoid pen and paper for the most part. And I know that in your book that we're discussing today, that you talk about it not being about the flowery handwriting and all of that. And sort of like putting the pen to paper, like where you're at in life, focused and living intentionally. And that it's not about how good you are at hand lettering, (laughs) which is uh, what has been holding me back until today. So can you do us a favor? And I'm sure you're sick of answering this question, but can you simply break down the framework of what you call, you know, this personal operating system? Sure. So the bullet journal method, in my mind, consists of two parts, right? On the one hand, you have the system, which is focused on productivity. And on the other hand, you have the practice, which is focused on mindfulness. And the idea behind Bullet Journal is that you combine the two, essentially. You know, on on the one hand, you have productivity, and we all know what productivity is. And a lot of times we define it by how much we're getting done, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, no matter how productive we are, a lot of times we find ourselves in a place where 
we've accomplished so much and we feel so little, right? We've worked so hard and then we end up in a place where things don't matter. This has happened to me multiple times in my life. I've had mm. multiple startups and work for startups and you put everything into something just to realize that this product or this service or something doesn't really add value to your own life, right? Mm. So we have productivity. So productivity in itself can be very effective, but I feel like the missing component is the mindfulness aspect. On the other hand, you have mindfulness, right? And mindfulness to me is like a very, very practical skill because essentially what you're doing is you're just becoming more present and introspective and you're starting to ask questions that help us understand more about ourselves. Why am I doing this? Why does this matter? What actually adds value to my life? We do this from a place of our lived experience, right? Like, you know what makes you feel inspired. You know what what makes you feel accomplished, right? A lot of the times when we're being productive, we're working towards goals that a lot of times other people have set for us or our culture. You know, if I just get this, then I'll be happy. If I just get to there, I'll be happy. If my Instagram feed will look like this, everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And I feel like often that's not the case. Like I can't tell you how many people ended up on some exotic beach and were just like miserable. You know, they worked <laughs> so hard and they got there and it's like, I what pick a reason why they didn't like it, you know? So I think that once you understand what it is that you're curious about, what nurtures you, and then you, you use productivity to put that into action, that, that is how we begin to live an intentional life, right? When we pair mindfulness with productivity, the 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 heart and the mind, if you will. Like that's that's what living intentionally is to align your actions with your beliefs, not the other way around. We have a lot more questions about bullet journaling, but I have a quick question for you because I just want to dive deep right off the bat. What what brings you meaning, Ryder? It's a good question. Um, to be useful. Mm. Can you give that one to my husband? No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. That was a joke. He's very useful. Okay, Becca. Well, what do you no, I have a follow-up question too. What do you what do you feel like what would be what would you say to somebody who doesn't have who isn't so clear about what makes them feel inspired or what what brings them meaning? Like, do you think um do you think the practice of bullet journaling can help bring that into focus? I think it's really important to say that I didn't just like arrive here. Right. I think one people one thing people really don't like hearing is that a lot of this is work. Right. We 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 are biological creatures and we live in a world where we're we're promised instant gratification in almost all things, right? You buy this and then you get this. You do this and then you get this instantly. Right. So I, I feel like all of this takes time. Like finding your purpose, finding things that are meaningful takes time and it will change as well you know like the things that are valuable to you now are completely different than what they were when you were a child right and there were things that were incredibly meaningful to you back then and there are things that are very meaningful to you now and those things aren't the same so on the one hand i I think this idea of like this meaning to life is is really counterproductive because there are many and they'll change over time and i feel to So to answer your question specifically, we don't have to know, but I do think it's important to start doing the work. And that work comes from unplugging and taking a step back and really looking at how you're spending your time and energy, which 
which of those things in your lived experience, you know, we're not hypothesizing here. What are these things that are adding value to your life right, right now? And, and if that's something that you don't know, that's where the work begins. This is not necessarily the meaning or your purpose, but like what's what makes you feel good? What makes you feel proud? What are you curious about on a very basic level? You know, I think that's where it all begins with curiosity because our curiosity is something that we can't fake, you know, yeah. fake curiosity is, is simply patience. I'm just imagining all those times. My 14 month old, I mean, actually, I am in a place now where I am genuinely curious about her discoveries. Um, but so let's let's back up to my older child before I was doing Atomic Moms podcast forever. You know, when, when she would hand me something and I would fake that curiosity, oh, yeah, yeah. that was literally just patience. It was like, I have been at this <laughs> playground for three hours. Like, oh, wow, there's a leaf. <laughs> But like, but I love the key word is curiosity because that's so true for us. Um, well, God, it makes going to the park easier if I can be curious about her experience and what she's taking in and what she's observing, but also how important curiosity is for our children and how we can create environments for them to be curious, like these safe places for them to play where they can. Uh, do it on their own, where we're not manipulating or creating the experience for them, yeah, but allowing like that curiosity. The practice of the process of trial and error that much less grueling, kind of to to reframe it as curiosity and trying to see what works and what fits and what feels good. But it also sounds like a real reality check when you have that pen to paper and you can flip back and see. Like, what have you done or what are your goals? And uh, you have so many wonderful exercises in this book that I'm really excited for mothers to implement in their own lives. You started off with this method as a coping mechanism for your ADD. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know a lot of our mothers have children that have been diagnosed with ADD. Sure. Uh, when I was diagnosed, it was like in the late 80s. Right. So there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of systems available, you know, it was like hardly understood. So I had a choice to make, which was either just to accept that I would be worse than most people in my class, which was the case, or I could start figuring out a way around it. And I guess I was blessed with being stubborn in that regard. Mm. And so I just started trying things to see what would help one piece at a time. And like the only real tool you have when you're, you know, elementary, middle school is pen and paper easy enough to use, you know, where they need instructions. Um, but that's also like a false assumption. Like, I don't know about you, but nobody ever taught me how to take notes. I was always told to take notes, but nobody ever told me how. So I just figured maybe if I take notes this way, or I try this way, and I try this way. And it was just a, it was a process of figuring out what worked for me over and over again. And it was, it was a grueling process. And I think, I guess my one piece of advice to parents who have kids who have the same diagnosis is try to figure out a way to empower them to solve their own challenges, which is something that basically transformed me from a very young age. There was like a class I wasn't doing well in and I realized it was because of how I was approaching the information. I was approaching it like everyone else, you know, I was doing exactly as I was told and my mind didn't work that way, right? And mm -hmm. things weren't working out for me. 
But then all of a sudden I tried it differently and I didn't tell anybody. And like, you know, I just tried it differently. And all of a sudden it got a little bit better. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Like I, I go to my teacher for help and that's not working. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be told or I'm being told to do. That's not working. Why is it not working? Right. And as a kid, that's a very, very hard problem to solve because mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of knowledge. You just don't have a lot of right. understanding of things. Resources. So you don't have a lot of resources. I mean, as as children, and I'm definitely not a psychologist, but as, as a child, your main resource are the adults. Right. Right. Like your teachers and your parents, you look to them for answers. And I think it was really important for me to learn that sometimes you can solve your own problems. And that's within your ability if you try and if you keep working at it. And once I realized I could do that, that was really motivating and inspiring. It's like, wow, I can actually solve this problem or at least improve significantly, right? That's Um, so powerful. That's what an amazing experience as a child. Like I feel like most people don't have that experience or, or if they do, it's much later in life. Yeah. I mean, it's just something that most people, I, I guess, I don't want to generalize, but it, I, I just don't hear a lot of stories where that's forced on younger people, mm-hmm. right? You, you have to figure this out or else things won't work Where you are going to have a safety net. And I feel like that's what families should be providing. But, you know, I, I feel like I've just, I had to think about these things from an earlier age. Like that's the only difference. You know, this is reminding me so much of, I had a conversation with Sir Ken Robinson, who I'm sure you're familiar with his TED Talk, How Schools Kill Creativity. Mm, yeah. And this is, God, it's bringing me back to that conversation. My father has ADD and my my baby brother does as well. And it's funny because my dad would always have this like real chip on his shoulder. Like he became very successful and is a real iconoclast. And now I'm thinking like, oh, that's like where it came from probably. It's probably because when he was little and he was told that he wasn't, you know, you'll never make it and you're going to, you know, you're a failure. You're the dumb one in the class. I remember so vividly as a child him being like, well, you don't want to be a pencil pusher. And that was his like, way of <laughs> counteracting motivation. But, but now actually maybe with his ADD, he should be a pencil pusher with his bullet journal. <laughs> yes, yes. The pen and the paper. I love that. Well, this, I, I just, I like love, the thing that I love the most about bullet journaling is is the simplicity of the pen and the paper. When you were saying before, like, when you were a kid and the only tools that you had to 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 use to try to solve your problem were a pencil and a paper. It's such a simple thing and so universal. But my question is, Ryder, do you use a digital calendar? And if so, yeah. how do you, what do you, like, what's your sort of balance with those things? Because in my family, w- without our shared family calendar, like, we... My kids would be wandering all over Burbank. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> My husband would not come home from work. I have no idea what would happen if we didn't have our shared this family is, calendar. Your shared family calendar is the only way to control everybody. <laughs> this is what this is really about. Exactly what I'm saying. So yeah. do you use one writer? And what do you, if you do, then how do you kind of integrate that in, into your mindfulness practice with, the, with bullet journaling? Sure, uh, absolutely. I mean, I spent the last decade as a digital product designer. I can fully appreciate how much technology can help us. 
So for me, it's not like digital versus analog. It's about figuring out the tools that help you spend more time with the things that you care about. I think at the end of the day, that's that's what's most important to me. I feel like a lot of times we mistake um, convenience for efficiency in these days, right? So a lot of times technology can solve problems that we actually have. For example, organizing a family or, you know, in my case, organizing a bunch of different teams doing different things, especially these days. But a lot of times technology starts promising new solutions to problems that you don't have. Mm. And we buy into those very quickly, right? It's like, oh, right. That would be easier with this. And it's like, why are you solving a problem that you don't have? Like, that's the litmus test for me with technology. You know, like there's an app for everything, but I, that wasn't something that I cared about before. Right. You know, this wasn't, this wasn't even an issue. And now I can't live without this or that. So for me, it, the careful, the thing is that we just have to be very careful with what we let into our lives in general. So that's where the mindfulness aspect comes in. Mm-hmm. I'm writing that down. Be careful what we let into our lives. So good. I mean, I would say that's the general rule that applies to anything to me. It's like technology, you know, people, um, opportunities. That's kind of the the, the filter for me. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. saying no. So, Ryder, what's the last thing you kicked out of your life? <laughs> I mean, I'm constantly trying to get rid of things in my own life. It's 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 uh, sometimes I, I challenge myself to do that, but I, I feel like. I haven't let go of anything that I've regretted so far. Um, I I usually, so I mean, I'm trying to think of a very specific thing. I am imagining broken hearts all over Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Manhattan even. (laughs) Okay. So back on track. This is another tacky question though, because you've given the world something that is free. Right. It's a pen and it's a blank notebook. My special bullet journal notebook that you created came in the mail today. Uh, and I was telling our listeners during the intro that my first task is interviewing you. I'm very proud of that. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about bullet Meta. journal starts with an interview with you. <laughs> so do you ever look at Amazon, though, and like get annoyed about how so many other companies have profited off of this movement. And I know you're going to have to tell me something like, oh, no, I'm just really happy that it's getting into the right hands or whatever. But like, do you ever have like a dark moment where you're like, damn it, like I said, paper and pen, but I should have made it a very, very expensive (laughs) non-analog tool. Well, I mean, no, uh, the honest answer is, of course, it's annoying. You know, (laughs) now I officially love you. (laughs) (laughs) It's 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 really disheartening to see that people take it to make a quick buck. Mm. You know, if you build something and you spend so much time doing it, like I don't do this for the money. I don't. It started for free. You know, it took me almost over a year to even think about monetizing it. Like that was never the point. That was never the expectation. The the only thing I wanted to do was put something of value out there, right? I mean, the original the original goal was like I'm just going to make this website, and if some people find it helpful, then that's it. You know, mission accomplished. And I, I would say, yeah, sure. I mean, it's kind of lousy of companies to adopt this thing for their own purpose. But the thing that 
I find more, I guess, disheartening is that they don't care, right? Mm. Like if somebody made something where they, they put a lot of time and effort into really, if they truly understood it, you know, that, 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 I mean, it's not great, but at least that's fine. But, you know, I, I feel like this is like a temporary way for them to like boost sales. Like that's, that's bad because at the end of the day, the only person that hurts is the community because, you know, I don't know what these products are. I don't know what's inside these products. Mm. And if somebody opens this up and there's a whole bunch of nonsense there, then these people are like, oh, the bullet journal is terrible. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. it, yeah. it, it, it could even be damaging to them because a lot of people, a lot of people approach these things because they have a need. Right. Like I, I created it because I had a need and it continues to solve that and address that. And if somebody buys into something because they think it will help them like that, that's, that's a, that's a really like, I, I think a special moment, right? Because you, you all of a sudden you've dared to make yourself vulnerable to learn something, which is what learning is all about is making yourself vulnerable, understanding that you don't know anything or like realizing that you need help. Right. And in that moment, when somebody opens something that's like really poorly researched or poorly put together or something that that spoils that moment mm-hmm. and that that's upsetting, certainly. Um, well, that, I guess that, that would be it. Well, speaking of the community that you just mentioned. Um, oh, man. And I and I'm going to get I got a little teary eyed when I was reading the book because my guest co-host today, Becca, her son has type 1 diabetes and he was just diagnosed about a month ago and she's trying to keep track of everything at all times. Even when we're doing this interview right now, she has her app open to check his blood sugar Mm -hmm. levels. And I was struck by the moment in the book that you share from... Uh, it was a letter from a mother at a preschool. And I'm wondering if you might share that with our listeners. Sure. Um, I actually got that letter at a very pivotal moment in my life, which was kind of interesting as well. So I was sitting in an airport and um, I was checking my email and I had gotten a letter from a mother who had a child with special needs and she volunteered at the school where the child went. And, um, the classroom had a bunch of different volunteers who were parents whose kids attended this class specifically. And one of the other children started having some kind of very intense seizure. The child couldn't speak, you know, and fell over and the paramedics rushed in and the mother had gone into shock and she couldn't talk. And the paramedics were asking, you know, like medications, doctors, numbers, anything. And she just couldn't, speak but she was able to reach into her purse and she pulled out her bullet journal and tore out the pages that listed medications doctors emergency contacts and they were able to save the child well i'm crying (laughs) (laughs) i mean that is amazing that's amazing and this actually goes back to something i think that we um ellie and i talked about on the podcast last week or maybe it was not on the podcast. Maybe it was just a conversation. We actually have conversations in real life <laughs> occasionally, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but about how I, one of my sort of like motivations for organizing my life is um, in case of an emergency, if somebody needs to to run my life for me temporarily or something. And I feel like that is one of the most appealing things about the bullet journal is that all of the information is there and all of the history and all of the, if somebody needs to, um, you know, like, 
if I become a, a serial killer and somebody needs to solve the murders, like it's all there in the bullet journal. <laughs> this will be your I fan fiction. <laughs> I, I did not see that coming, but okay. <laughs> It's just because I'm picturing those, like, you know, like the psychopaths that, like, keep meticulous right. notebooks. Like, this is, yeah. I've, I, but I well, did feel like the. Well, that was also kind of in the news recently, but we won't go there. Right, right. Um, but for posterity, I mean, it's like the, the beauty of having everything in an organized way or, or not even an organized way, but having all of the information there in a way that is, is, is accessible is um, so lovely, I think. And to look at your life holistically, where, and I and maybe I'm using that word incorrectly, but I mean that a mother could have a page that is the seizure log that mm. is so important. Mm-hmm. And then another category could be um, the plants that she wants. Clearly, I'm not a gardener. <laughs> if I were to try, you know, the plants that might be in season that, you know, uh, that you pull out of Sunset Magazine or something like that. Like right. that it can have that we are three-dimensional people who have the highs and the lows and we have these aspirations and we also have to have these um, real, not comeuppance, but like a real sobering look at like what actually is. And I think that is mm. so incredible that you've created this system. It's such a beautiful way, I think, to synthesize everything in your life and just be, you know, just have a have a good look at who you are. I love that this, this is, I never honestly thought of this before, um, thought of bullet journaling as a mindfulness practice. And I think that that is so lovely. And, and it's I, such a great part of this book because it's like you share so much about mindfulness and about, um, oh, what's his name? Who's the, you know, the guy from like hundreds of years ago that you quote a bunch writer? Marcus Aurelius. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there are a couple in there. <laughs> um, and you have so, I mean, honestly, moms, like when you get the book, like just flip to the quotes at the beginning of each chapter because each one could be <laughs> a mom bomb. They're such good quotes up top. Um, what do you want? I'm going to put you in the hot seat, writer, because clearly we just need to shut up and let you talk for a moment right. before you get back to your life and your 400 <laughs> other jobs and promoting this amazing book, which, by the way, we're pre-recording this interview, everyone, and it's already number one in the time management section of Amazon. <sighs> what do you want parents to know when they pick up this book? How will the bullet journal help me? And 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 how will it I'm afraid of the comeuppance. I'm afraid of when I start actually tracking my life and having to acknowledge where I am, that that's like too hard to deal with. I mean, that sounded really dark and I guess I don't mean it, but I know that there's moms out there who are afraid of that. Help us. Sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, I guess I'll start by like acknowledging the fact that I'm I'm not a parent uh, at this point, but what I can do is speak towards, I, I think, more general challenges that we face. And I feel like a big one of these that I feel would probably be amplified for parents is that you have no time for yourself anymore. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's a very big problem that we all have in some way, shape or form. We're always going, going, going. There's so many responsibilities. And I guess what I would say is I would challenge you in that people always say, I'll make time, right? Well, just make time for that. You'll make time for that and what i would what i would submit for your consideration is that you can't make time time can only be taken Mm. right and that happens in one of two ways 
either time is taken from you or you take the time. Either way, it will be spent. And what I mean by that is essentially life will constantly figure out ways to like take our time away, our responsibilities, our families, our jobs and whatnot. But we do have the ability to take some of that back strategically. Like we can carve out a little bit of time here and there. And a lot of people consider that to be a luxury, right? They're like, oh, that's, that's a nice to have. And I'd argue that that's an absolutely critical element that we all need to work on. Because in that space, you can start to reclaim more time because you can finally sit down and you can think what matters what is vital? Here are all the things that I'm doing right now, but how many of those are actually moving me towards where I want to be, right? How many of these things do I not have to do? Do I really have to host this dinner? Do I really have to go to this play? Do I have to do this report? Sometimes you do, but often you don't. And the reason you don't realize that is because you don't take the time for yourself to just simply stop and think about it. And, you know, the argument I get a lot is like, I don't have the time to do that. I'm like, well, do you have the time to watch TV? You know, do you have the time to any, any possible thing that you do that's that's not absolutely vital or critical is time that you can start using to do this work. And it is work and it is challenging. But to your point before, it's like, what happens if you have this reckoning? And I would say that that reckoning only happens because we haven't put in the work beforehand. Like a lot of times we, this, this, this soul searching, if you will, is the result of like some massive event in your life, usually a negative one, right? Like you lose your job, somebody passes away, something, all of a sudden you're lost because you have no framework. You don't know who you are in this new context, and that's why a lot of people think that soul searching is this really epic thing that I will do next week or I'll do <clears throat> and, you know, a year from now or when like the stars align and all this stuff. Yeah, like in Joshua Tree. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, I mean we, 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 we see these things constantly. It's like you have to go to this yoga retreat. She said that with all sincerity. <laughs> no, I really mean it. Like I think soul searching happens in Joshua Tree or Stop I. It. it doesn't. All right. Becca, the I'm point listening. is I'm listening. it happens tonight <laughs> with know. your bullet journal. Continue, writer. I know, I get it. Well, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like like soul searching and really like epic words. And like what I would, again, submit for your consideration is that you can start asking yourself these questions every day, like very gently, very lightly. And it doesn't have to be like an existential rabbit hole, right? You're just like, why am I doing this? Am I curious about this? Is this adding any value to my life? Like, am I working towards the right thing? Like, these are, I feel like the more often you ask yourself these questions, the, the gentler they become and you're not as scared of them because a lot of people are, you know, there's a lot of fear with having to actually answer these questions for yourself. And I feel like you don't need to like come up with the meaning of life. Like what's happening right now? How are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. Was this a good day? Why was it a good day? How can I replicate the things that made this a good day? And like, these are very small, gentle questions, but like over time you start answering these things and you start learning more about yourself, right? Like if you don't study yourself, no one else will. Right. And if you don't know what you like, what you believe in, what matters to you, then you start getting into a lot of problems that we all face, right? Like, I, I don't have time for anything. I don't know what's important. Like, I don't know what to do. It's like, well, you haven't asked yourself. Mm. 
right? Like when's the last time like you asked yourself, like, what do you want? What do you actually want? And more importantly, why? Like the underlying question is always like, why, why do you want these things? And I feel like if you do that just a little bit every day, you strengthen those muscles, right? Like, like we, again, we're like biological creatures. If you don't go to the gym and you walk out with a six pack, it doesn't work that way. You know, it, it takes a long time for you to hit your goals. And I feel like obviously tragedy and like sadness is unavoidable, but when we experience those things and we've kind of been training ourselves and we understand more about ourselves, I feel like it becomes easier. We're not as lost because it's kind of like, okay, you have a greater understanding. You have more bearings around you. So I feel like that's kind of what I'm trying to champion here is like sitting down with your notebook, like five minutes a day at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, all you're doing is you're just disconnecting and spending some time with yourself. How am I doing today? And this is not very woo, very basic, mm-hmm. you know, like, When's the last time somebody asked you, like, how are you doing? And you really had an answer for them. You know, you're probably like, oh, I'm stressed. I'm doing fine. Like, just cut off the conversation. And it's not because you don't have the patience necessarily, but a lot of times you just don't know. Yeah. Because you haven't asked. Right. That's totally true. I love that word gentle, like being gentle with yourself and gentle with your the questions that you're asking yourself and I feel like that's a good being a good friend to yourself is sort of what I'm picturing, like a, um, exactly, like a nice, a nice way to treat yourself. I'm gonna start treating myself the way my therapist treats me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryder, in in closing, I'm mm-hmm. because this goes along with that. Um, I'm wondering if you would share with our listeners the five why exercise, which is sort of much like pretty much the title explains it all. But just so they might be able to do that tonight. Can you just walk us through quickly what the, you know, the five whys, how that might look? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. There's a large history to it. But essentially, the five whys is an exercise that's designed to get at like root causes or symptoms of any kind of problem or challenge you may be facing like a lot of times when we're presented with a challenge it's really overwhelming and we freeze like you just don't know where to begin right so an easy way to start deconstructing that is to start asking yourself why so for example a project didn't work out so we want to learn from that we want to learn from that experience so how can we start doing that it's like why didn't it work out it's like oh because you know the client so-and-so, okay, why? Well, okay, the client didn't respond well to us or we lost the project because the client didn't feel confident in our abilities. Why? Well, because the, the deck wasn't really good enough or there were like a lot of typos or something. Like, why? Well, it's like, because the person we gave it to really usually doesn't do the decks, you know, or like, hmm? why did you give it to that person? It's like, because the person who should have been doing it was working on something else. And then and so forth and so on. Like all of a sudden you start getting to like, it's a very quick way to surface what like the, the, the first domino, if you will, and mm-hmm. a really complex problem. And that can be applied to anything. It's like, why am I out of energy? It's like, okay, I'm not going to the gym. Why? Because I don't have the time. Why? Because I'm always at work. Why? And that's that's a really interesting question. It's like because they're making all these demands of me and everything. Why? It's like 
oh, maybe the company's not doing so well. It's like, why? It's like, you know, you start you start thinking in different ways. Right. You, my you start, last one would be, because I want to prove my worth to my mother. <laughs> Just kidding. That was a joke, mom. Like, that was a joke. It's a parent. It's a mom podcast. I get to make that joke, mom. But yes, like that's why I, that it's like this, uh, if you just keep digging, right? It's like this in improvisation class. It was always like, don't just go with that first impulse. Like there's what what's after that? Because the first thing is surface and it's also the cliche and it's been done a million times. And it's probably also the lie we've been telling ourselves just to get by. But like, if you can keep digging. Designed to shut down the process. The first, the, yeah. the first response is designed to, to avoid probably what's really difficult. My friend has a lot of avoidance across from me. I have so much avoidance. <laughs> I'm shocked she showed up for this interview. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's um, bad. It's really real bad. My avoidance is real bad. No. One last question yeah. for Ryder. Ryder, what is your favorite pen? Oh, you're going to hate this answer. Um, I, I try not to have a favorite pen oh. just because I feel like if I focus on the pen, Maybe one day. Again, for me, it's it, I try not to get too beholden to the object, right? Because if I love the pen too much, then I'm like start trying to get fancy with how I'm writing and all these things, and that's that's a distraction for me. I kind of let go of that idea. So for me, it's it's about the point. So I like using fine liner points, and I like them because they slow my hand down and make my handwriting significantly more legible, and they just like take to the paper really well. So I like fine liner pens. Fine with fine pens, but, but non-specific, specifically. Yes. <laughs> I actually love that answer. Yeah. Uh, Becca has a background in design, and she's, like, really excited right I'm, now. I mean, I, I'm just totally geeking out about this whole thing. Anyway. I just love it. Um, well, I mean, there's one thing I guess I would add in general. It's like I, I feel like, at least from my pers- perspective, like the best tools are the ones that are invisible. As soon as they start thinking about the tool and not thinking about the goal. Oh. So for me, that's one of the reasons about the pen and the notebook in general. It's like, yes, I have my own custom notebook, but I have that because I don't have to think as much about the things that I'm putting into it. Or I mean, how I put things in because it has page numbers and so forth, you know, like, right. again, it becomes more invisible. Ryder, thank you so much. We're going to have all of your information on our website. Uh, if listeners want to know how to follow you on social media, where should they uh, follow you? <laughs> where, what, do they, what do they do? What do people do in 2018? I'm actually in a time machine. I'm from 1875. What are your handles? Bullet Journal, pretty much everywhere. Okay. So, bulletjournal.com, at Bullet Journal, hashtag Bullet Journal as you wish. Nice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. So everybody, you can get the bullet journal method, track the past, order the present, design the future, wherever books are sold. You can also find the link on our website, atomicmoms.com. Don't forget to subscribe, itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Or if you have an iPhone, there's a podcast app already on your phone. Just search Atomic Moms and find us. Please, please, please leave a written review if you appreciated this episode and share with friends. Okay, everybody, until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on. Atomic Atomic Moms. Moms.